Blog Talk Radio. The opinions and views expressed by the host and guest are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Blake Radio Network. Broadcasting, broadcasting, broadcasting to the world, broadcasting to the world, to the world, to the world, spreading the news and information. BlakeRadio.com, music for your mind, body, and soul. Talk radio at its best. You're listening to Rainbow Soul from Jennifer Daniels, and you're listening to Healing with Dr. Daniels on Blake Radio Network, Rainbow Soul. And it's Tuesday, March 22nd, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. And today's topic is, who is the most dangerous drug dealer? Yes, who is the most dangerous drug dealer? It is entirely possible that the war on drugs has been misdirected, and something very important is being overlooked. Now, as you know, my sources are the medical industrial complex itself. I only take confessions. I make no accusations. And I don't even do my own research. Or I should say my own studies. I do uh, source what the government has to say. So the CDC steps up. And the CDC, this is a quote, CDC issues opioid guidelines for doctor-driven epidemics. Doctor-driven epidemics. First of all, what is the CDC? That's the Center for Disease Control. They're in charge of defining and tracking diseases. And they're in charge of, of course, issuing statements. And they're issuing opioid guidelines. Well, what's an opioid? An opioid is a narcotic. That would be like uh, heroin, codeine, oxycodone, and other narcotics. All right. Doctor-driven. That's an interesting term. Uh, So we're going to read what they say about this epidemic and figure out what this doctor-driven means. Okay. So, Center for Disease Control and Prevention today. Now, when was today? Today was March 15, 2016. Hot off the press. And they uh, issued recommendations for prescribing opioids for chronic pain to combat an epidemic of prescription overdoses that claims 40 lives a day. Now, what is a prescription overdose? got to get this. This is an overdose death that's caused by a prescription written by a doctor. This is a legitimate, confirmed prescription. A licensed, a trained, duly licensed individual called a doctor wrote a prescription 
for an FDA-approved drug on a prescription pad, valid prescription, the person receiving the prescription filled it, took the drug, and dropped dead, in this case, of opioids. Why would anyone prescribe, for that matter, take an opioid? Well, the answer is for pain. So when it comes to most chronic pain patients, the CDC's advice boils down to one word, don't do it. That's don't, do not, no. But the science of opioids for chronic pain is clear, says CDC director in a news conference today. For the vast majority of patients, the majority, just so you understand, it's 51%. Anything over 50% is majority. Vast majority, we can take that as possibly more than 75%, meaning for 25%, it might be okay. For the vast majority of patients, the known, serious, and all too often fatal risk, and fatal means deadly, dead, death, risk far outweigh the unproven, get that, unproven and transient benefits. Well, excuse me, if a drug has unproven benefits, why did the FDA approve it? Just a question, just a question. And there are safer alternatives. All right. So accordingly, the first of the agency's 12 recommendations, this, by the way, takes 53 pages, states that opioids are not first-line therapy for chronic pain. And so chronic pain, I'm just going to give you a definition here, pain is more than seven days because they were very specific. And opioids should be prescribed for only seven days. And that clinician should first consider non-opioid pain relievers or Get this, non-pharmacological options, non-drug options. You're asking doctors to recommend non-drug options, such as exercise and cognitive behavioral therapy. Now, what's cognitive behavioral therapy? That means you sit down and you're in pain, you just had surgery, and you say, I don't have pain, I don't have pain, I don't have pain. That was something like these affirmations, you see. Other recommendations include conducting a urine test before opioid therapy. What the urine test will be, I don't know. Maybe testing for opioids. Starting at the lowest dose possible and avoiding doses above 90 morphine milligram equivalents. That's a lot of drugs. I can honestly say the highest I ever went was 60, and that was for someone with meningitis-related pain. I should say I inherited him at 60, and I had to taper him down to nothing. Or more prescribing immediate release as opposed to longer-acting opioids, and limiting treatment for acute pain to usually seven days. The non-binding guidelines, this is interesting, non-binding guidelines, do not apply to patients who are receiving palliative care or end-of-life care, in other words, expected to die soon, or treatment for active cancer. Now, active cancer is... You know, to exempt this category is unreasonable because many people live for 20 years after they get cancer. So CDC tells the recommendations to a primary care clinician who account for roughly half of opioid prescriptions, which means recommendations don't fit the other half. So Dr. Friedman says clinicians play a key role in reducing the rate of addiction and death associated with these drugs. The prescription overdose epidemic is doctor-driven, he said. It can be reversed in part by doctors' actions. Now, to say it's doctor-driven, I think, is specious. 
Specious meaning defective reasoning, superficial thinking, because it's exclusively created by doctors. There's not a non-prescription route for these deaths. They're only looking at prescription deaths. So how strong is the evidence? Well, that's another problem. A lot of times the evidence is not very strong, but let's take a look at this case. The final recommendations remain unchanged in the draft version released last December. That would be four months ago. Despite strong objections from several major medical societies, they pointed to a lack of strong evidence supported in the recommendations that said the adequacy of non-opioid and non-drug therapies to counter chronic pain. Now, of course, I object to that. I think that non-drug therapies are extremely effective in chronic pain. In fact, the only thing that's effective in chronic pain. On that point, the American Medical Association and the American Pain Society noted that the widespread lack of reimbursement, that's payment, for non-drug therapies deters clinicians from ordering them. So I'll tell you what happened to me in my clinical practice. It really happened. A patient came to me because she was unable to use one of her arms, and she was a court stenographer. And so the whole arm was uh, frozen and painful. Of course, it was her arm she used for stenography. And she came to me complaining of this, what she perceived to be a work-related situation and this terrible pain. And so I said, well, it doesn't make sense to give you a narcotic because they don't usually work with this anyway. So I gave her the uh, non-drug therapy of this paper rub to rub on the whole arm. Yes, the whole arm. And instructions to wiggle the fingers as it was comfortable and gradually resumed using her arm. Long story short, she got relief from the pain, we're going to go back to work. Her workers' comp claim was denied because she never took a drug for her pain. In other words, they told her, we will not pay you for the time you're off from work and she's not taking drugs. And, of course, they told me, the doctor, we are not going to pay you because you did not prescribe a drug. So this is the kind of pressure doctors are facing. So if the doctor recommends a non-drug therapy, in an office visit and does not recommend a drug therapy, that doctor risks, one, not getting paid at all for the visit to the insurance company, and two, the patient risks not receiving uh, sick pay, sick leave, workers' comp pay, whatever benefits they're entitled to. And so this lack of reimbursement issue is is more than what you would think. It's not the doctor is going to get paid at a lower level. Uh, it's that literally if an insurance company looks at a doctor's visit and a prescription was not written, then that visit is considered often medically not unnecessary and the doctor does not get paid at all. Dr. Friedan has the agency basis guidance on the best available research in chronic pain, which is not as robust as we'd like. In other words, the best available research in chronic pain is pretty poor. The CDC will refine its recommendations as more evidence emerges. He said, but in the meantime, we must act now. Now, narcotics have been around for decades, and there's no research available. I mean, do you think they could just review the historical record of office visits? Jesus Christ, you've got electronic medical records now. The data is there. You push a button. And you can see all the visits for narcotics were prescribed, and you can see 
the answer to pretty much any question you might have about it. So to say that there's not much data is uh, disingenuous. That's a fancy word for dishonest. Okay. And so the doctor says, I'm encouraged by the progress we've seen in insurance programs. And the director of the CDC, National Center for Injury Prevention and Control, said the new guidelines inform a lot of future choices. So so the doctors have said, well, wait a minute. They want doctors to be able to prescribe these narcotics for two weeks instead of just one week. Hmm. So let's take a look at the magnitude of this problem. Now, this will really uh, blow you away. So we have these people called the National Institute on Drug Abuse. And this is www.drugabuse.gov. That's right, .gov. And what do they say? National overdose death, number of deaths from prescription drugs, and they count this, 25,000 in the year 2014. Now, they do confess. The United States government does not track deaths from every drug. No, they don't. However, the National Centers for Health Statistics and Centers for Disease Control and Prevention does collect information on many of the more commonly used drugs. CDC also has a searchable database called CDC Wonder. Okay, that's something to know. But the point here is that this number, 25,000, the government itself freely admits they don't track deaths from every drug. They are deaths from drugs. They just don't track. We don't track every death. And we can see the number they come up with, 25,000, when the Journal of the American Medical Association itself comes up with a number of 107,000, is obviously not true. Okay. Okay, the figure above the bar chart showing the number, total number of overdose deaths involving prescription drugs from 2001 to 2014. And um, there's a 2.8-fold increase in the number of deaths from 2001 to 2014. But here's the thing. National drug overdoses from heroin. 10,000. 10,000 heroin overdoses. This is an important number because heroin is in the same family as narcotics, such as morphine, codeine, oxycodone, and so on. So 10,000 deaths a year. But wait. But wait. Let's look at the number of annual deaths from opioid pain relievers. 19,000, 19,000 in the year 2014. Almost double the deaths from heroin alone. Then if we toss in, and what the heck, why not? We toss the number of deaths from benzodiazepines, that would be Valium and that family, um, sedatives death. We can add 8,000 to that number. So 8,000 plus the 18,000, 26,000 overdoses 
from the prescription pad. So we're talking about doctor wrote the prescription, person took the prescription, person died. And we have from heroin, from sorry, from cocaine, five thousand deaths a year, and from heroin, ten thousand, fifteen thousand versus twenty-six thousand. It's pretty clear to see that if what we're trying to do is prevent people from dying, marijuana is directed. Uh, and if we drop the war on drugs from cocaine and heroin and focus instead on making opioids illegal and on treating doctors as the drug dealers they appear to be, then we might get more uh, more results here. But the magnitude of the problem is, is astounding. There are literally more deaths from legally prescribed prescription painkillers than there are from the illegal ones. Now, to really understand just how outrageous this is, when someone takes heroin, they don't know the concentration of the heroin. They don't know how much the heroin they're getting. It's not pure. They're using a dirty needle. All these things, not approved by the FDA. They don't even know if it really is heroin. They might be cut with something. And then you've got the prescription drugs, the benzodiazepines and the narcotics that are the FDA, the dosage is known, the concentration is known, the amount is known, the person's getting very specific instructions, they all figure it out for themselves, and there are more deaths. So the highly regulated government supported drugs in the pain story are killing more people. So what's the CDC say about this? Well, CDC's got a lot to say about this. They have so much to say about this. It takes 53 pages. That alone should tell you that what they have to say about this is not very direct or very concrete. So let's um, take a look at this. Take this from the top. See the CDC has to say how they're going to solve this problem. So the background, opioids are commonly prescribed for pain. An estimated 20% of patients that go to the doctor's offices with non-cancer pain symptoms or pain-related diagnoses will get a narcotic. Healthcare providers wrote 259 million prescriptions for opioid pain medication, enough for every adult in the United States to have a bottle of pills. That's true. Uh, they didn't count kids. That's why there's 259 million to cover this. This is 320 million Americans, more or less. So, opioid prescribing rates increasing for family practice, general practice, and internal medicine compared to other specialties. Rates of opioid prescribing vary greatly across states in ways that cannot be explained by the underlying of the population. Highlights the lack of consensus among clinicians on how to use opioid pain medication. Okay. Now, as a, as a family practice doctor in a private practice, I bought a city block, built an office building on it, female doctor, 20 pounds underweight, slender, slight, from Nepal, I made the executive decision that I would not prescribe narcotics, number one. Number two, I would not store narcotics. Number three, on my own office, I would not even accept samples of a narcotic painkiller so, what this meant was that 
My patients didn't know much. When they got here, they knew they were not getting a narcotic. And so this, this created in my office a very safe situation. How many narcotic overdoses did I have in 10 years of medical practice? Zero. Zero, not one. And I even had people come to me on narcotic drugs because they wanted to stop their narcotics. And what did I tell them to do? Did I tell them, go cold turkey to stop those drugs? No. I said, look, I'm not going to stop your narcotics for you. You can keep getting them from the doctor you're getting them from. Meanwhile, while you're at it, cut back your cigarettes or quit them. Cut back your alcohol or quit them. Switch to organic food. Cut back your meat or quit it. Cut back your dairy or quit it. And that's just the start. And most people, believe it or not, were able to stop the narcotics just with those simple instructions. I do mean it's simple. Oh, we also had to treat the severe constipation caused by the narcotics. And that alone reduced the pain tremendously. So what is the CC says? What else? Prevention, assessment, and treatment of chronic pain are challenges for healthcare providers and systems. Pain might go unrecognized. And patients, particularly the racial and ethnic minority groups, women and the elderly, persons with cognitive impairment, probably Alzheimer's, and those with cancer at the end of life can be at risk for inadequate treatment, pain treatment. What? Are you kidding me? So, racial and ethnic minority groups, I think that might be African Americans, I'm not sure. Maybe it's Hispanic, I don't know. Women and the elderly are not getting enough pain though. Never just the same. I have to tell you, in my experience as a doctor, it's my observation that people in these groups got way too much pain medication. And they were the ones that came to me to get off the medication. Okay. So there are clinical, psychological, and social consequences associated with chronic pain, including limitations in complex activities, loss of productivity, reduced quality of life, and stigma, and so it's important to have appropriate compassionate patient care. So patients who receive treatment based on a careful consideration of the risk of treatment options. Now, chronic pain has been defined in many ways. The CDC is going to say pain that lasts more than three months or past the time of normal tissue healing. Answer is saying it can be all kinds of things, underlying medical disease or condition, injury, get this, medical treatment. So a doctor using medical treatment that's causing the pain to last a long time. Inflammation for an unknown cause. Uh, inflammation is an unknown cause. It has not been clarified. Okay. So, number of persons experiencing chronic pain is substantial. In uh, 1999 2002, more or less 14% of adults had this problem. And in um, a survey conducted in 2001 to 2003, there was 43% of a lot of people with chronic pain. So 2012 showed 11% of adults report having pain every day. And it's hard to estimate how many people have this. But here's the kicker. Opioid pain medication use presents such serious risks, including overdose and addiction. 
from 1999 to 2016, more than 165,000 persons died from overdose related to opioid pain medication in the United States. In the past decade, with death rates for top leading cause of death, such as heart disease and cancer, has decreased, death rates associated with opioid pain medication have increased markedly. Now, I just want to tell you what they taught me in medical school about narcotics and how should you prescribe them and how much narcotics is enough. So we were told to prescribe narcotics to anyone who had pain. And you keep increasing the dose, you give them more and more and more and more until the pain was released. So how much was enough? Enough was enough. There was no top dose, no amount that was too much. And this is uh, shocking. I can tell you, as a 90, 20-something, I was shocked to hear that that kind of information on how to like narcotics. And right then and there, I made up my mind that that didn't make any sense to me, and I wasn't going to do it. But this is what was taught in medical school in 1980-something is that the people coming to your office and paying you money for your office visits are nice middle-class people, and they are not going to get addicted. And so just give them whatever drug that takes or however much narcotic to handle their problem. The problem of addiction is a disorder manifested by specific criteria such as unsuccessful efforts to cut down or control use, resulting in social problems and a failure to fulfill major role obligations at work, school, or home. So this, which is referred to as abuse or dependence. Now, big deal here, and this, this is a very bothersome, is there is no evidence that opioid therapy is effective or appropriate use in demands of long-term pain. That's shocking. So they're saying the CDC's recommendations on the main basis of a systematic review of the best available evidence, along with input from experts and further review and deliberation by federally chartered advisory committees. And the guidelines to ensure that clinicians and patients consider safer and more effective treatment, improve of patient outcomes such as reduced pain and improved function and reduce the number of persons who develop opioid use disorder that would be addiction, overdose, or experience other adverse events related to these drugs. And so telling the doctor he needs to base his decision on the relationship between the clinician that would be the doctor and the patient understanding of the patient's clinical situation, functioning, and life context. Now, this is really unrealistic, especially in a situation where more and more patients are going to clinics, um, seeing a different doctor each time, so there really is no relationship. And the recommendations are based, are voluntary, not prescriptive. Can you imagine telling a cocaine dealer or a heroin dealer that on a voluntary basis you can choose to sell or not? It's voluntary. There is no penalty. Okay. We got it. So for killing all these Americans, there's 26,000 Americans from and sedatives combined, doctors are being told, we're going to give you some suggestions. If you ignore them, don't worry. It's, it's okay. So it's, it's okay. So 
Primary care physicians report having concerns about opioid pain medication misuse, and they find that managing patients with chronic pain is stressful, and they're concerned about patient addiction. This is all, these are all valid concerns. The doctors are not taught how to help people with chronic pain. They are trained to prescribe narcotics, narcotics, and more narcotics. And the problem is physicians across specialties believe that opioid pain medication can be effective in controlling pain. And the answer, of course, is not, it's not true. It's just saying these attitudes and beliefs combined with increasing trends in opioid-related overdose is the youth losing to death, underscore the need for better clinical guidance in opioid prescribing. And so the, the problem here is that they are using opioids for an application for which it's just simply not, the, not effective. It's just not going to work. So the CDC guidelines offers clarity on the recommendations. And so who's supposed to be reading this? Get this. You, the patients, are not supposed to know this. These guidelines are intended for primary care clinicians. That would be your doctor. Treating patients with chronic pain. That's pain lasting more than three months. And so that's healing time, which means the person is healed. And so the cause of their pain is not their initial injury. By the way, I agree with this. So if you have pain for more than three months, your pain is not caused by your initial injury. It was not caused by the car accident. It was not caused by the work accident. It was not caused by whatever trauma antecedent is caused, in my mind, by an incomplete healing process. In other words, your injury has failed to heal completely, and that is the cause of chronic pain. And so giving a drug like morphine or codeine or oxycontin is not going to help because those are not drugs that get rid of inflammation and help heal. So, guidelines intended to inform clinicians who are considering prescribing opioid pain medication for painful conditions that can or have become chronic. And for people, the doctors supposed to use these criteria for people, no, for people over age 18 with chronic pain that's not palliative and a person not expected to die anytime soon. And the problem is, again, proving to be ineffective for controlling long-term pain. And opioids also, get this, it's on doctors, are not expected to provide complete pain relief. Opioids do not provide complete pain relief. This is wholly opposite of what doctors have been told. Doctors have been told that, and I was too, that narcotics relieve pain. And they're the most effective pain relievers. They are effective. And I can definitely tell you that looking at my... um, observations of what 
I noticed as a medical student, as a resident, was I never saw anyone get complete use of their pain with drugs. Now the CDC rips back the um, the curtain and says, you know what? It's just as you doctors notice that opioids do not provide complete pain relief. Further, opioids are not effective in the long-term management of pain. My mother had a car crash in the 70s, and it didn't take long for the doctors to put her on narcotics. Of course, mom would complain that her pain was not relieved. And so the doctors higher and higher doses of narcotics. Lucky for her, she wasn't an addictive personality. And so what happened then was they said, oh, this isn't working. Let's put you on a long-term narcotic pain pill that will be naloxone, which, of course, these are extremely, um, and people have been known to die just in the first week of using them. So what happened then was she stopped using all the pain. Alice, her pain was no worse without the pain medicine than with the pain medicine. And so that was uh, was very shocking. And so what the, in my observation medical practice is, the people who take medicine long-term do not have pain. They're very unhappy people, and they have pain all of the time. And so what the... Um, CDC then has said that they've looked for expert opinion and they think that it's necessary for a federal partner in given the scope of this guideline, the interest of agencies across federal government in appropriate pain management and prescribing related outcomes, CDC invited its National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health. That's the people who uh, regulate your jacket injuries and CDC's federal partners to observe the expert meeting and provide written comments on the full draft guideline after meeting. Finally, information quality goals for peer review so they actually have doctors take a look over this and decide uh, what they think, and as always, uh, public comment. So what they basically advise doctors to do is simply try non-drug therapies, which is to get the person to convince themselves by psychological methods that they don't really have the pain or um, giving them non-narcotic drugs such as Tylenol. Now, the problem, of course, is these don't work. So this is what the committee found. The effectiveness of long-term opioid therapy versus placebo, no opioid therapy, the long-term more than one-year outcomes related to pain so in other words, it's not effective. The risk of opioid versus placebo is very high. 
with comparative effectiveness of opioid dosing strategies, uh, long-acting versus um, extended re- immediate relief, um, continuous versus as-needed dosing, dose escalation versus dose maintenance. So all of these things uh, they took a look at. And their basic conclusion was the less, the better. And the accuracy of instruments for predicting addiction, abuse, and misuse. In other words, there really is not a way to predict and separate who's likely to overdose and who's not likely to overdose. So, and what they're finding then is really they just say no. And they're very, uh, you know, there's not a lot you can say about this. Except that it's important to find a way for doctors to stop prescribing opioid things. But at the same time, they're not giving the doctors any uh, direction. And so what they found is that there's no way for the doctors to really to predict who's going to overdose and who's not going to overdose. So what's a patient to do? What is a patient to do? Well, the doctor offers you a narcotic. You can either thank him for the prescription, don't get it filled, or you can fill it. That's really about the size of it. Just say no. What about pain? What are you supposed to do? I can tell you first from my experience, get a serious, intense ice pack and just pack it. Pack an ice, elevate the limb, and go from there. And then the problem, of course, is one of healing. Oh, stay perfectly still so you don't get the pain. Why not take a narcotic? It causes, it's causes bloating, causes a severe intestinal pain so bad, it's worse than the pain of getting sliced and cut by the, um, by the doctor himself. So the narcotic is, is, is a very uh, imperfect, imperfect solution. So if you're going to refuse the narcotic, what then? Ice. Elevation. You can alternate, even alternate ice and cold, ice and cold. And then you can even take, believe it or not, castor oil, empty out your intestines. Even an end-of-life pain, a castor oil dose is superior to narcotics than relieving the pain. This is absolutely shocking. Not something they tell doctors in training or doctors in medical school, but honestly, it does work. Increasing your water intake. What does that mean? That means taking more water than other beverages. So reduce your fruit juices, reduce your alcohol, reduce your soda pop. These are all pain-causing beverages. Increase your water. Yes. And what this does is it actually accelerates your healing so at the end of the healing process, you are actually pain-free. In fact, pain-free long before the healing process ends. Let's go take a look over 
That's Jeffrey. So it's important then. So it's important then for people to realize that opioid therapy for somebody who wants to live a long life, there's just no place for it. So you have to um, turn away from that. Okay, so so that's the immediate thing to do. So you stop your drugs that can cause pain, increase your water intake, switch your food to organic, empty your bowels. You can even use vitality capsules long the term to help diminish the pain. So you're hearing some noise in the background? That's because I'm coming to you from Argentina, and we're at a hunting yeah. and hunter's chat. And every now and then, a lot of excitement and success. So not a problem. <laughs> okay, so let's take a look at the uh, chat room and see what the chat room has to say about this. Okay. I wonder why I have to sleep after every meal. <laughs> All right. Uh, you have to sleep after every meal because of what you're eating at the meal. So you need to increase the nutrition content you're eating at your meal. Okay. Um, is it possible for the teeth to completely regenerate in place of full tooth? Possibly, but I've not seen it. Dr. Daniel, can complete can frequent anxiety attacks be caused by deficiencies? Frequent anxiety attacks are caused by toxicity. So um, you can take all the vitamins you want, but your anxiety attacks will be relieved as you detox. Okay. So the person says, I've tried B vitamins and magnesium over the years, but have not had any relief. That is correct. Um, anxiety attacks is a subtraction problem, addition problem. So it's not a matter of adding anything. It's a matter of taking away. All right. Dr. Daniels, are there records kept about how much opioid drugs are stolen from hospitals and clinic supply rooms by other doctors or staff? Is there a record printed of unaccounted for opioid drug supplies? Absolutely. Every hospital keeps a record of missing opioid drugs. Every hospital does. That is an absolute requirement for the pharmacy. What is done with these discrepancy records? It's not clear. Usually it happens over time. If it gets to be too much, if they manage to figure out which hospital staff person is responsible, and they uh, usually just replace that person, generally not uh, clinical charges are generally not applied. Okay. Okay. If abortions terminate life before vaccinations and medical care can terminate life after birth, couldn't both procedures be considered doctor-patient assisted? No. Again, it's doctor-patient assisted. Um, to assist the patient suggests that the patient asks for help. So these um, donations and medical care are not doctor-assisted because the patient did not ask for the assistance. These are just plain killings. Um, and abortion, medical term abortion is neutral. It doesn't say whether the abortion was accidental, whether it was created by the doctor, 
was created by medical intervention. It just means the pregnancy was ended. Like uh, an airplane taking off, the, the, airport, the airplane takeoff was aborted. And so the term abortion is, medically speaking, so broad that um, it, it includes pregnancy terminations that the woman desired. It includes pregnancy terminations she did not desire, ones caused, say, by amniocentesis or chorionic villus sampling. And it also um, includes spontaneous terminations that happen as a result of nature. So um, the vaccinations and medical care that terminate life after birth are simply uh, doctor-caused killing, so the doctor caused the killing. It's not can't be classified as assistance because it was not um, requested. <laughs> okay. This is a now back to the next water thing. And person, or, or I'm sorry, the Flint, Michigan bad water. Person says, unfortunately, people in Flint, Michigan cannot boycott Nestle water. It's the only bottled water they can get. But they can get tabletop distillers. They can get tabletop purifiers. And so that's not the only game in town to buy bottled water. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So these are a bunch of questions and answers. So we can uh, take questions. We can call on your dial thing there. No, I don't see questions there. All right. Back to the chat room. Okay. We have, I was reading, Dr. Dan, I was reading today's obituary, and it said that a lady who was 65 years old died unexpectedly. What do you make of that? Again, I think that when someone dies unexpectedly at the age of 65, um, it's definitely a poisoning involved. The question is, were they poisoned by the drug they were taking? Were they poisoned by a, uh associate? You know, it's definitely not, uh, not natural causes. Someone says, Dr. Daniel, was all of the death and disability caused by treatment of non-existent illnesses, chemicals in the food, chemtrails, and mandatory vaccines, why do you think people are even still alive? Well, first of all, not everyone is forbidding to all of these. That's number one. Number two... A human body is really varied, and all these poisons um, dump oxygen in the body. The basic consideration is if these things are putting, being put in at a certain rate, at what rate are they being taken out? And so if the rate of removal is equal to or greater than the rate that the person is being intoxicated at, then the person is going to live. And so this could be uh, healing or health that many people don't um, appreciate. And so in other words, if you live in a place with chemtrails, you have food that's filled with poisons, um, then your best bet is to avoid what you can avoid and to detoxify and remove from your body what you cannot avoid. So that would be 
tasks well, drinking more water, eating more fiber, taking vitality capsules, simply removing waste at a faster rate. Okay. Okay. The big revolution is happening. Okay. So, newsflash, two food companies said they will start labeling GMOs. That's nice that they're going to start labeling them. What about just doing without them? And so, Mars, they make cameras, and Kellogg's, along with Jones and Campbell, have decided to label GMOs. Again, labeling the GMOs, I think, is a political uh, out. And so what you do is you keep labeling them until, of course, everything is GMO, and then you're all set, no problem. And so that is, that's how that plan goes. <laughs> all right, yes, we'll dance with a bump of music next time around. No cutting out here, just not clear. Okay. Dr. Daniels, does morphine relieve pain at all? Yes. Well, yes and no. Morphine dulls the perception of the pain. The actual pain itself is not affected. So if you have intense pain, morphine does not reduce that pain. It just reduces your perception of it. And this makes it a very, very poor painkiller because it doesn't address the underlying cause of pain. <laughs> All right. So this person says, uh, morphine is just a distraction. Toddlers can do the same. I, I, I object to that. I think if you add three toddlers to the average person's pain, it would drive them right through the friggin' roof. And those toddlers' lives might actually be in danger. So don't do that. If someone is having severe pain and morphine, but don't give them three toppers either. Okay. <laughs> All right. Oh, yeah, okay. All right, fine. So that is the big questions for tonight. I'd like to remind people to please go to vitalitycapsules.com forward slash remedies and get your um, free report. Remedies are so powerful they could make antibiotics obsolete and there's a huge there that can actually help with pain as well. But the big deal is don't let your drug dealer get you hooked. Do not allow the doctor to even get you started on narcotics just because it's a solution. Um, they don't work. And the CDC has finally come out and said painkillers, I'm sorry, narcotics do not work in terms of managing pain. And so it is, uh, is a real shocker. Why would they do that? Why now? I mean, why tell us now that um, these narcotics are a problem? I guess um, too many people have died. People have had, people's relatives have died. I guess the wrong people's relatives have died. And the problem, of course, is the more highly trained your doctor is, the more your doctor um, adheres to the standard of care, the more likely you are to end up being 
a drug addict. Um, because the basic standard of care guidelines are routine prescription of narcotics after surgery and continuation of narcotics for as long as the person has pain. Unfortunately, the narcotics cause constipation. Constipation means the poisons are held in the person's body and continue to cause even more pain. And what I will call um, a person getting uh, resistant to the narcotics or developing habituation to higher and higher doses, that's not what's going on. What's going on is the narcotic is actually creating more pain in the person's body, and so higher doses of narcotic are needed to suppress the stronger pain signals coming from the increased pain-causing chemicals held in the body by the constipation caused by the narcotic. And so we have then a circle, a cycle, but what does not change is the amount of narcotic needed to kill the person. So this person will dose themselves for pain relief, taking higher and higher doses until actually they finally die. And this um, curiosity that drugs approved by the FDA, proven safe by research, proven effective by research, are notoriously the least effective, basically ineffective, and unsafe. And this is what people are up against. And so it might be reasonable then to go so far as to simply refuse to take any drug approved by the FDA. And it's disingenuous, means dishonest, of the government to even begin to criticize this narcotic epidemic when the FDA has approved all these drugs as safe and effective. So for the CDC to say these drugs are not safe and are not effective, and then to not take them off the market, you know, what are they really doing? It sounds like, uh, you know, a bunch of heat and no fire, a bunch of noise and no action. So, um, again, this is no protection, whatever, for um, citizens. And then, of course, the most cruel joke is to offer um, affirmations as a non-drug therapy for people who actually have pain or really, really sick, they, they have problems. And then to suggest that the doctor needs to get to know his patients better by asking even more personal questions to be put into an electronic record that can be traced by the government and then go ahead and, of course, prescribe the narcotics anyway. So here is what they say. Guidelines for prescribing opioids for chronic pain. One, opioids are not the first or routine therapy for chronic pain. Next, establish and measure goals for pain and function. Next, discuss benefits and risks and availability of non-opioid therapies with the patient. Now, this is almost silly. So what are you going to give the person? So now you're going to contaminate their liver and put them in line for a liver transplant instead of making them into a drug addict. Establish and measure goals for pain and function. All right. So they're not reaching these goals for pain or for function. Then what do you do? So non-drug therapy is preferred for chronic pain. They should consider, you don't even tell the poor doctor what the non-drug therapy is. That's really bad. Before starting opioid therapy for chronic pain, they should establish treatment goals with all patients. In other words, the doctor should go ahead and start opioid therapy for chronic pain, even though it's proven ineffective. 
And she consider how opioid therapy will be discontinued if benefits do not outweigh the risk, which they almost never do. Clinicians should continue opioid therapy only if it's clinically meaningful improvement in pain and function that outweighs risk to patient safety. Wait, by now the person's an addict. And so we're back where we started. We've created the addiction. These guidelines supposedly are designed to prevent. Before starting opioids, doctors should discuss with patients known risks and realistic benefits of opioid therapy and patient and clinician responsibility for managing therapy. So in other words, realistic benefits means that this is not going to get rid of the pain. So when starting opioid therapy for chronic pain, they should prescribe immediate release opioids instead of extended release opioids or long acting. The long acting are, are short killers. They're bad. So when opioids are started, clinicians should prescribe the lowest effective dose. And they should caution when prescribing opioids at any dosage and should carefully reassess evidence of individual benefits and risks considering increasing a dose of some more than 50 milligrams of opium equivalent. I don't even need to go that far. So another thing that happened. My mother broke her hip, ended up in the hospital, and then went to rehab. And the doctor in rehab gave her narcotics and told her to take those narcotics every single day, three times a day, whether or not she had pain, so that way she would do better in surgical therapy. But of course, the narcotics made her groggy and she couldn't do anything in physical therapy. Finally, she started wetting her pants, peeing in the bed. And I talked to her on the phone, and she told me, oh, I had an accident today. And she told me the narcotics she was taking. I looked it up, and sure enough, it causes urinary incontinence. And she had to insist that the drug be stopped. But this is what people are up against. <laughs> yeah. So it's really uh, uh, a doctor-caused epidemic. Easiest, best way to do it, to handle it. If you have pain, the doctor's not the person to see. That's for sure. Okay. okay. Dr. Daniels, would it be safer if they prescribed crack to everyone who had pain? The answer is yes. Um, as you can see by the numbers, there's only 5,000 deaths from crack a year, whereas there's 18,000 from narcotics and only uh, 10,000 from heroin. So it's clear that crack is the safest one uh, if the doctor's going to do anything at all. Okay, well, we are just about out of time. The moral of the story is Drug dealers wear white coats. Yes, they don't always stand on corners. And, of course, as always, thing happens. And next week, the best hospital may be the worst for your health.